Good morning. Uh, as we turn our attention again this week to God's Word, we continue in our practice of lighting a candle, recognizing Jesus even describes Himself as the light of the world. Um, a light shining in the darkness that the darkness has neither understood nor overcome. We, we light the candle to remind us, even especially in this teaching series, of sort of the intimacy that Jesus had with the Father as He prayed. A, a chance that we get to listen in as Jesus prays to the Father. And so Jesus, light of the world, we ask that You would illuminate our hearts and minds as we meet with You here in Your Word this morning. Okay, so have you ever been given a task that is so big, so much bigger than you could ever possibly handle or imagine, so challenging, so far beyond what you're capable of that all you could do was look upon it and despair? I was not always a pastor. Once upon a time, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, I was a high school science teacher. And that first year of teaching, that was a task that was so much bigger than I was ready for, so much more comprehensive than I was equipped for, so, so it was so completely beyond me. Now, there was a number of reasons for that. Number one, during my undergraduate years, how will we say this? I was a less than attentive student. So when I began teaching, I did not know my subject matter. I was teaching biology, chemistry, physics, and I knew nothing about biology, chemistry, and physics. And I had to stand in front of a group, six different groups of 35 students and pretend like I knew what I was doing. I, was not, I did not know my subject matter. That was a problem. Second, I lacked the character of a teacher. I was a young punk kid, completely self-absorbed and wrapped up in myself. Not much has changed in that regard. But... <laughs> I was irresponsible, I was inexperienced, and I did not have the selflessness and the other's centeredness that is required for as noble a profession as teaching is. And the icing on the cake, actually, is that I only interviewed for the job four days before the first day of school. So I walked out of the interview with a job in my hand and 96 hours to figure out how to be a teacher. Now, I was called, they'd hired me after all. I was equipped, I did actually have a biology degree and a teaching degree, but I had no idea what I was going to do or how I was going to do it. That first year of teaching, and I'm going to get an amen from some teachers here, it was brutal. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> and there were many times during that first year that I almost gave up because the task was just too big and I didn't have what it takes to be a teacher. Have you ever been assigned a task, something so far beyond what you think you're capable of, that you're left speechless, flummoxed, discouraged at the mere thought of this task that you're ready to give up before it even begins? Well, this is where our text takes us today in John chapter 17. So if you have a Bible, you can turn there. It's all of three whole verses, so I'm going to put them up on the screen as well. 
But if you were here last week and you heard Chris take us through the verses leading up to this, you, you heard that we have actually been given a task. We have been given a mission. So John chapter 17, if we pick up a little before then, like verse 14, this is sort of where Chris landed the plane last week, where Jesus, and he's praying over his disciples. And by verse 15, he's saying, my prayer is not that you would take my disciples out of the world. He says, don't take them out of the world. They've got a job to do. I'm giving them a mission. They've got to be in the world. So don't take them out of the world, Father. I want you to protect them from the evil one. And that brings us to our verses today, verses 17 through 19. And we find this. Jesus prays over his disciples and says, Father, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. And for them, I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. That's a lot of sanctifying. This is how Jesus prays. We have been given a mission. This much is clear. Even in, in that text that we just read, verse, chap, verse 18, right? As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Jesus is saying, I'm sending them, I'm giving, they're on a mission from God. But we see that there's a comparison being made right off the bat. If we're going to try and understand what our mission in the world is. Jesus says, as you sent me into the world, I've sent them into the world. So if we've got to wrap our brain around what's our mission, it starts by saying, well, what was Jesus' mission? Because it appears that our mission is an extension, an extrapolation of his. As you sent me into the world. And so then we might say, well, Jesus, what's your mission in the world? And fortunately, the very last verse of this prayer he spells it right out for us. If you look down to verse 26, this is Jesus concluding this incredible prayer when he says to the Father, I have made you known to them. I will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them, that I myself may be in them. What's Jesus' mission? To make the Father known to extend the Father's love so that it might be in us and to invite people into a relationship with jesus himself if we're to sort of wrap up this mission that jesus is praying over his people and this is all just setting up our text by the way but our mission or sorry jesus's mission is to reveal the father it's to extend the father's love to an unbelieving world and it's to invite humanity back into right relationship with the god who created them and loves them this is Jesus' mission. So when he says, as you've sent me into the world, that's what he's saying. <laughs> and then he says, as you've sent me, Father, I'm sending them. Same mission. We have been given a mission from Jesus, and that mission is to reveal the Father. It is to extend His love, and it's to invite an unbelieving world back into reconciled relationship with God. And if you're following so far in any way, shape, or form, you get to this point, and there's one question that should be on our minds, or at least it's on mine, which is this is a great, glorious, high calling, an incredible mission. You must have me mixed up with someone else, Lord. You want me to be part of that mission? No, I get it that that's Jesus' mission. Jesus, the Son of God. 
Let's have him reveal the Father. Let's have him extend the Father's love. Let's have him invite people into a relationship. But me? Have you met me? I don't know the subject matter nearly well enough. And I lack the character and the integrity and the holiness to be able to carry out a mission like this. I'm still wrestling with sin. I'm still striving after righteousness, but I'm not quite there yet. I still fail. I still fall. I am dramatically underqualified for such a mission. I try to imagine the disciples as they're eavesdropping on Jesus as he's praying. In my family, when we sing grace before the meal and we say thanks, there's always one or two kids whose eyes are open and they're kind of looking at each other, smirking, you know, like seeing what's going on around. Can you imagine the disciples listening to Jesus? And it's like, as I've sent, as you've sent me, Father, I've sent them. They're looking at each other like, what did he just say? Us? But do you realize that Jesus, in praying for his disciples, is actually praying for us? Jesus is praying over us, saying, as the Father has sent Jesus, Jesus has sent us on the same mission. How in the world are we supposed to live this mission out? How are we, broken, fallible, sinful, messed up, rebellious people, how are we supposed to live in a way that reveals the Father and extends His love? See, actually, this is what Jesus answers for us. This is the question he answers. This is what this entire section of his prayer is all about. And when it comes right down to it, the answer is amazing and astounding and unbelievable. God empowers us for his own mission by making us holy. God empowers us for His mission by making us holy. I mean, that's where this text goes, right? Sanctify them by the truth. There's that word sanctify. Hey, for them I sanctify myself in order that may be truly sanctified. There's a lot of sanctifying going on in our text this morning. But that word sanctify means something. It's not just a multisyllabic church word we throw around to sound intelligent. There's meaning to it. And in fact, there's sort of two main nuances to this meaning for the word like sanctify. When Jesus says sanctify them, we need to stop the truck right there for a second to say, what does that mean? And on the one hand, we see that the word sanctify means to set apart for a holy purpose. To set apart for a holy purpose. So a synonym might be to consecrate, to dedicate, to sanctify means to set apart for a holy purpose. For example, some of you may know that I don't wear a suit. That's not entirely accurate. I do own a suit, but it is kept in this thin plastic sleeve from the dry cleaners, and it stays there all year long except for two occasions. Number one is a wedding, and number two is a funeral. I don't work in the garden in my suit. I don't change the oil in my truck in a suit. No, when I'm uniting two people in marriage before God or when I'm honoring someone that we've lost 
as I commit them to the Lord, my suit is sanctified. <laughs> it is set apart for a holy purpose. So when Tim walks in and he's wearing a suit, you're thinking, uh-oh, someone's getting married or someone's getting buried. Like this is, it means something to wear a suit. <laughs> Similarly, in the Old Testament, that's how the word is used, right? Exodus 28 and 29, God is giving instructions on building the tabernacle. And he says there's a bunch of things in the tabernacle that need to be set apart, consecrated, dedicated for holy purposes. So there's utensils, there's, there's uh, furniture, there's an altar. The whole tabernacle, the language that's used is consecrate these things, set them apart as holy. So things can be set apart as holy. But people are also set apart as holy. That same text describes Aaron and his sons as being set apart as priests. Even there's a place that says they've got to make a gold medallion and carve into it, holy unto the Lord, and stick it on the front of the turban so that it will communicate visually what is true spiritually, which is these priests are being set apart for God's holy purposes. The same idea is here in this text as Jesus prays over his disciples and by extension as Jesus prays over us. We are to be set apart as holy to the Lord for his holy purposes. What are those purposes? To reveal the Father, to extend the Father's love to an unbelieving world and to invite that world into a relationship with him. It's Jesus' own mission. and We, Jesus is praying this, He's praying that we would be set apart for this purpose, that this is why we're here. It's kind of like when a Christian enters the room. People should be thinking, God is about to be revealed. Strangely, when I walk into a room, that's not people's reaction. When I walk into a room, people are less like, here comes a revelation from God, and more like, hey Tim. I may be set apart for God's purposes. And that's clearly the first nuance of what this word means. To be set apart, called for this glorious purpose. But when I walk into the room, I don't think people get that. I think there's more that needs to be done in me. I may be made in the image of God and I may be called to reflect His likeness, but that likeness is a little bit distorted in me. I need sanctify to mean more than just set apart as being holy. And it does mean more than being set apart for holy purposes. The second nuance for understanding this word sanctify as Jesus prays is literally to make something holy. To make it pure. To make it righteous. As in morally pure. Holy as in upright and perfect and just. Having a character that is reflective of the character of God so that our lives are an accurate reflection of His holiness in the world. And what's crazy here is that Jesus is praying that the Father will actually make us holy. Because that's actually what it takes to carry out the mission. If our mission is to reveal the Father, then our lives need to look like His. If the mission is to reveal the Father, then our character needs to be consistent with His. Our lives need to be clean and pure and holy 
so that there is an undistorted view of God. Let me give you an example of that. I make supper a few times each week, and recently I made Cajun chicken drumsticks, which requires removing the skin before you cook it. So this is raw chicken. Have you tried removing the skin from raw chicken? It does not go well. I will just start by saying that. Uh, you're, you're trying to pull and eventually it pops and chicken juice sprays everywhere and there's just a lot of raw chicken juice everywhere. You're loving this, I can tell. <laughs> I, I figured out actually grabbing the skin with paper towel actually gives you enough like, traction to get it off. Anyways, before it was over, I was covered like up to my shoulders in raw chicken juice and salmonella. <laughs> and my son Justin comes in and says, Dad, give me a hug, bring it in, big fella. Now, time out. In that moment, I could give him a hug right then and there. Ha <laughs> big fella. I might even want to give him a hug in that moment. In fact, as his dad, I am set apart and sanctified. I am called to give him a hug at that moment. It is my purpose to love him. That's what I'm here for, except I'm covered in chicken juice and salmonella. And that's gross. It would not be loving to cover him with the filth that covers me. I am called to give him affection, not infection. <laughs> in order to accurately demonstrate love that's in his best interest, I need to be clean. I need to wash. I need to allow my love to be pure and holy, to be genuinely for his benefit. If in the same way, if we are to reveal the Father's love, our lives need to be clean and pure and holy lest we get our filth all over them. And as Jesus is praying for His disciples, this is the beautiful part. This is what He's praying. He's praying that the Father will set us apart for holy purposes. But even more than that, He's saying in order to accomplish that, Father, make them holy. Change them. Transform them. Make them ever increasingly an accurate reflection of your character and your nature in this world. He, so, you know, this word sanctify them, he says, sanctify them, Father. He'd set them apart and make them holy. The, the question that then comes is, well, how does that work? How? <laughs> okay, I want to become holy. How does that happen? By what mechanism? Answer me that. Jesus actually does flesh that out a little bit. He says, sanctify them by the truth. There's our mechanism. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Let's see how Jesus unpacks that. Oh, wait, he doesn't. Darn. This is one of those places where I wish Jesus babbled on like the, the Pharisees did when they pray. I, I want more information than this. I want him to unpack, oh, what do you mean by the truth and that your word is truth? Tell us, Jesus. He doesn't. So we are left to infer what that means, which I believe we can do responsibly because those two words, truth and word, these are huge words for Jesus. He comes back to these words again. And these are huge words for John as he wrote his entire gospel. These are major themes in the Gospel of John. And if we want to know the mechanism by which we are made holy, we take the idea of truth and word, put them together, and say, 
how does this gospel as a whole approach these two words? How does Jesus talk about these two words in such a way that leads us towards holiness? This is inference, but I think it's responsible inference. And I think at a minimum, you put truth and word together, the first stop-off point on this journey is to just acknowledge Jesus is talking about the Scriptures. At a minimum, we can be made holy as we turn to the Scriptures. I mean, where else are we going to find out what holy even is? It is God's own character that defines what holy is. How do we find out about God's character? We go to the Word. We go to the Scriptures. It is the Scriptures that describe God's character and nature. The Scriptures that tell us what holiness looks like to begin with. The Scriptures that describe God at work from generation to generation. It is the Scriptures that teach us that God is holy. And the Scriptures command us to be holy like God is holy. Right back in Leviticus. Be holy as I am holy, says the Lord. First Peter picks up that refrain in the New Testament. Be holy as He is holy, says Peter. When we take truth and word and put them together, at a minimum, we see the need to go to the very Scriptures, the Word of God, the Bible, to learn about what holiness is so that we have a shot at bringing our lives into conformity with God's perfect and holy standards. It begins with the Scriptures. But it continues with the Spirit. John 14, we see Jesus introducing the idea of the Holy Spirit to His disciples, and we studied it earlier this spring. And He's he's called the Spirit of Truth. There's that word again. The Spirit of Truth. And in John 14, Jesus describes three roles that the Holy Spirit has. Number one, to remind us of everything Jesus has taught, everything Jesus has said, all of Jesus' words. There's that other word. To remind them of everything Jesus has taught, to teach them all things for those crazy situations they get into that they hadn't thought of ahead of time, and even to advocate for us before the Father when we mess it all up. What we see here is, you know, the Scriptures say, here's how you find out what holiness is, and, and we receive our instruction to be holy. But it's when we allow the Spirit to actually work in our lives that we find the power to change. That doesn't come from us. Our willpower isn't enough to pull off the kind of life change and character transformation. That comes from the very Spirit of Christ at work in us. And so, you look at these first two Johannine emphases, you look at these first two words, truth and word, the way Jesus talks about them, and we see in the Scriptures... We see God's character and we know what holiness looks like. And then we see through His Spirit the actual power to change. We are to grow in holiness in partnership with the Spirit based on what's revealed in the Scriptures so that we might reflect and reveal the very character of God with increasing clarity in the world. The problem is, though, that this side of eternity... I'm never going to get to that perfect place of absolute flawless holiness. I mean, I want to grow in holiness. I get that. But I will never be that flawless reflection of God's perfect holiness. I don't think you and I will ever get to that place of being truly 
holy unless we embrace what God has revealed in the Scriptures, we keep in step with the Spirit as He changes our lives, and we understand the role of the Son and what Jesus has done. Because John 14 reminds us, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. John 1 reminds us, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was this, that's a Word and truth, truth and Word. They're summed up most perfectly, completely, and beautifully in Jesus Himself. And if we want to be truly holy, that is something that we cannot accomplish. That's something that was accomplished for us. And it's accomplished based on this principle. For something dirty to be made clean... Something clean must be made dirty. You know this because you've washed dishes before. Right? This principle is true. You, what do you start with when you're washing the dishes? You start with the glassware. Because while the water is still pure and clean, you do the stuff that will show the dirt the most. But over time, as you continue to wash the dishes, the dishes get cleaner and cleaner, and that clean water doesn't. It gets more and more greasy, more and more dirty, more and more stray food particles. And by the end of it, the dishwater, you just got to drain it and get rid of it. Because for something to be made clean, that, that, that dirt has to be transferred. It has to be taken care of. Jesus is about to go to the cross. We have to remember these aren't just isolated verses. right? Remember the, the story, what, what's happening in Jesus' life as he's praying this. He's about to finish up. By verse 26, he's done. Then they cross the Kidron Valley. They enter the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus is betrayed by Judas. And then Jesus is arrested, beaten, mocked, and crucified. What for? For something dirty to be made clean. Something clean has to take on all of that sin. For something impure to become pure... Something pure has to actually take on all of that impurity. For something that isn't holy to be made holy. Atonement needs to be made. Jesus was about to take upon Himself the sin of the entire world. His body would be broken for us. The punishment for our sin was upon Him. And by His wounds, we are healed. And that's what Jesus goes on to say as He concludes this section. For them, I sanctify Myself. He says, I'm setting myself apart because I agree with God's purposes that sin needs to be dealt with once and for all. And I'm going to go to the cross, Jesus says, and I'm going to pay the penalty for all of it. And I'm going to take all of that sin and filth and rebellion and that lack of holiness and I'm going to put it all on me. And then I'm going to rise again and conquer it all. You see, because of what Jesus has done, we have been declared holy in God's eyes. We're not just being made holy. We are holy already because the penalty for our sin and our brokenness and our rebellion has been covered. Jesus, he, He's declared you are now holy and set apart and pure in God's eyes. Not because of anything we've done. But because of everything Jesus did. 
This is more than just behaving as those who are holy. This is more than just making holy choices. This is more than just subscribing to a a strict moral code that leads to a life of purity. This is being truly sanctified. Something that can only happen by faith in what Christ has done for us. And so we're left in this weird place. Jesus is praying that we'll be sanctified. He's praying that we'll become holy. And here we're saying he's, He's done it once and for all at the cross, and yet it's still a work in progress. How do these two things work together? Which is it? Has it been accomplished by what Jesus did once and for all? Or is it a process and we're being made holy? Which is it? The answer is yes. And the author of Hebrews says it really well in Hebrews 10. He says, and by that will, meaning and by God's own will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. So what Jesus does on the cross accomplishes holiness for you and me. We have been made holy once and for all. It's done. We are holy. Four verses later. And for one sacrifice He made perfect forever those who are being made holy. But you just said. But the answer is both. From God's cosmic eternal economy of justice, we have been declared holy holy our sin has been forgiven and when god looks at us he sees jesus and as we learn about holiness from the scriptures and as we partner with the holy spirit in our lives we are bringing our character and conduct into line with our identity look we've been given a mission That mission is to reveal the Father, to extend His love to an unbelieving world, and to invite others into a relationship with Himself. And we are not qualified. The task is too big. And we lack sufficient character. But the Father is making us holy. Jesus has declared it over us. The Scriptures and the Spirit, and together with them, we become holy. We're actually literally being made holy. And we've also been set apart for God's holy purposes. And there's this beautiful circle of increasing clarity. As our lives become holy, we're better able to carry out this mission that we're set apart for. And as we're set apart for it, that setting apart in part is because we're demonstrating holiness and that makes us different from the world. And so we we become more different, which means we're more set apart for a holy purpose, which requires more holiness. And it turns out when we're more holy, we're better able to accomplish the purpose and it's this beautiful circle of increasing clarity as God is revealed to an unbelieving world. Is the task beyond us? Apart from God, absolutely yes. Except that God empowers us to accomplish His purposes by making us holy. Which leaves me with three implications I want to talk with you about. And they're quick because we're landing the plane. Number one, 
if this is true, and Jesus is praying this, so I'm pretty sure it's true. Well, that means that holiness in our lives is not impossible. In fact, it's inevitable. For those who follow Jesus, I'm sorry, sometimes I think we fall into an incomplete understanding of what life with God looks like. We love the God of grace because when we look in the mirror, we see brokenness. When we look in the mirror, we see sinfulness. When we look in the mirror, we see rebellion against God and we see all the ways we fail. And we throw ourselves upon the grace of Jesus and say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And that is entirely appropriate. But it's not complete. Because left there, we find ourselves saying, so what good am I for God's kingdom purposes? His grace is sufficient for me to just sit here and wallow? (laughs) Might we not be seeing an accurate reflection of ourselves? Because I believe this is a text that promotes an alternative reading, an alternative viewing. There's a second image in the mirror, and that is not one of sinner, but of saint. It's a view of someone who has been declared holy because of what Jesus has done. It's a view of someone who is becoming holy in partnership with the Scriptures and the Spirit. It's not simply sinner saved by grace. It's also precious child loved by God. How do you see yourself when you look in the mirror? And might this be a text that changes the way you think about who's staring back at you? Holiness is an option. It's available. It's possible. It's inevitable because Jesus prayed it over you. So are you growing in holiness? How do the choices you make line up with this faith you profess? Does your character speak volumes in the workplace, in your homes, in your neighborhood? Are you known as a person of purity and integrity? Someone who is different from the world and different in all the right ways. Does your life reveal the Father and His love? That's not just possible. As we continue to follow Jesus, it's inevitable. This is the trajectory He puts you on. Second implication. As I am struck by this text that God is making us holy, I think about this mission we're on. And every time I think about mission, I think, okay, I've got to tell somebody about Jesus. And that is very, very true. But when we start talking about holiness, holiness isn't just about what we say, right? It's about who we are. Part of our mission is to see our character aligned with who God is. Such that before we even open our mouths to tell people about Jesus, we have already earned credibility because of integrity and honesty, justice, humility, graciousness, patience, and gentleness. I think there's something to be said for pursuing 
holiness. Accept God's grace. Absolutely. We are sinners saved by faith in what Jesus has done. He accepts us just as we are. He just loves us too much to leave us there. He's saying, come higher up, deeper in. And that starts with character because our words and our behavior are simply an overflow of what's going on in our heart. We need to start with our character. Who we are is where holiness begins in us. And I think the third implication is that we are not set apart to be wrapped in a thin plastic sleeve and hung up in the closet and only brought out twice a year. We are not set apart to be put away. We are set apart to be put on display in a broken and hurting world that needs to see God. The people of God God are called to be a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people set apart to proclaim the goodness of God and how He has called us out of darkness and into His marvelous light. We're called to let our light shine before men. We're we're to live such good lives among those who don't know God that they might see our good deeds and glorify God with us on the day He comes. Our lives are supposed to be visible which means we actually have to put ourselves out there. It means we have to spend time with people who don't know Jesus. It means we have to be willing to be fully ourselves when we're spending time with people who don't know Jesus. Right? Not just accommodating to the culture in which we find ourselves, but redeeming the culture, any culture into which God calls us. Having integrity and holiness and being consistent, the same person sitting right here in these pews as when you're out in your offices and your work sites and your classrooms and your family gatherings. Integrity, consistency of personness, no matter where you are. And a willingness to put your life out on display. That also means a willingness for other people to take aim at you. But this is our calling. This is our mission. Not to take a light and hide it under a bushel, but to set it on a stand that it gives light unto all that are in the house. God empowers us for His mission by making us holy. First Peter, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. God's special possession that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. This is us. This is you and me. This is our identity based on what Christ has accomplished and it is our trajectory based on what is happening with the Scriptures and the Spirit in our lives. We are to be living on mission in the world, revealing the Father, extending His love, inviting all people into relationship with Him. And that is a task that is so far beyond all of us that we have no hope of fulfilling it apart from Jesus. But in Christ, Jesus who prayed this over us, we are set apart for God's holy purposes. 
we might actually become an accurate reflection of God's character in the world. So accept the holiness that has been conferred upon you in Christ Jesus. When you look in the mirror, see the holiness of Jesus in its place. And pursue holiness. Chase after holiness of conduct and character. Grow in holiness. And in all this, may God work among us an increasingly clear picture of his character and love for a world that needs him so badly.